basically, if you watch Roll Bounce, that's the culture that I came up in, just not on the, on the regular basis. But I hadn't skated in a long time, and sports broadcasting was what I was wanted to go into. So I saw this, one, as a career path, but also I loved the sport right off the bat, and I wanted to be involved with it however I could. So broadcasting and announcing made the most sense instead of being a roller skater just in that I, I like I thought it was really, really, really amazing. But I wanted to be an announcer. I wanted to spread this I wanted to basically spread the message because I had grown up with that. That was my sports experience. I wasn't a great player in anything that I did. I loved it and I was decent at times, but I wasn't a great player. But I loved the way that the announcers communicated the game. And that was what I wanted to do with roller derby. In roller derby, holding space is an empowering, often intimidating act of strength and strategy for oneself and or teammates. Holding Space, the podcast, clears the floor for conversations that touch upon race, class, identity, and privilege to amplify stories, build community, and make more connections in the skate world. This is Holding Space with Magical Wheelism. Welcome. Hope you had good Augusts. On today's episode, we have Windy City Rollers Jumping Spider. We had a nice chat a few months back about his five years announcing and coaching in roller derby. Jumping was the voice you heard at the beginning of the episode, by the way, trying a new thing. Uh, You can also hear jumping on WAR Media, weareregalradio.com. So I loved my chat with jumping. I was really excited to get his story and to hear from him. And also, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to get his opinion on The Last Dance, the ESPN 10-parter about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls' quest for their sixth and final championship ring. The documentary talk is actually in the episode that's going to drop next week in case you want to catch it before then. But before we, I jump into my interview with Jumping, I just wanted to read a message about episode 23 Hamill talk that I received from a listener out of Wisconsin United Roller Derby in Madison, Wisconsin. Shout out to them. Darth Spartacus writes... Hi, I'm currently listening to your Hamilton podcast and am totally loving it. The beauty of your podcast reviewing the show is the show casts POC and the writer is of the millennial generation. Reflecting on the ongoing current civil rights period we are in, a community leader here in Madison, Wisconsin described the issue of statues as scarecrows or a flag that colonial for bears placed to claim their turf on that day forward. Hamilton puts colonialism on its head and holds up a lens tinted by multiple POC experiences. Although its lens is very subtle to me, the lens and the resulting discussions matter to me. They educate me. Incidentally, I am a white dude, 54, Generation X, the forgotten ones. Oh, so serving that is. <laughs> Grew up in the suburbs. Cats was novel in its day. It was cool to see a 
contemporary interpretation of T.S. Eliot and even find something whimsical from such a dour man. The blush of that rose lasted about a year for me. And I loved musical theater and was on stage in high school and college. Keep up the good work. I remain your faithful listener, Spartacus. Thank you so much, Spartacus, for reaching out. And if you want to get in touch, feel free to do so at magicalwheelismderby at gmail or via the podcast Insta at Holding Space with Magic Pod. Please also feel free to rate and review the podcast on Apple. Also, sharing is caring. Tell a friend. Tag us in your media posts. Love connecting with you folks. Anywho, here is jumping and jumping spider of windy city rollers thank you for coming on i guess let's start from the top hit me with your derby origin story i always like this i was folding socks in peoria illinois in 2010 and a friend of mine who was also i was i went to uh, bradley university for college and i was in like central illinois i'm from chicago and after I had done my, uh, I walked in graduation, but I was just subleasing in the city for the summer. And the guy who I was living with, he called me and said, hey, I won roller derby tickets on the radio. Do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, I'm folding socks. I'm not doing anything. Let's go. So we went and we saw the Peoria Push Derby Dames play St. Chuck's at that time. It was St. Charles, Missouri. Is this and like 1975? Those names are amazing. I know, right? It was St. Chuck's Derby Chicks out of St. Charles, Missouri. And big ups to them. They've, they've stuck it out. They've, they're um, not on the level of like the top 10 or top 20 teams, but they're still going along strong as far as I know. But overall, I thought this was the greatest sport I had ever seen when I was sitting in like the trackside seating. And I was just watching this go. And this is 2010 Derby that was still like one knee starts and minor penalties and two whistles. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I went to people at the after party and was like, hey, hey, I'm in school for like sports broadcasting. I do all this stuff. Can I join y'all? I want to do something. And so the next year uh, they brought me on for the travel seasons like hey you can announce with us and just come to practice and see how the sport works and i'm sorry could you repeat the names again <laughs> the peoria push derby dames was my starting team they i don't know who they brought down from windy city to be their um i'm not sure what you call the person who apprentices you but basically teach it they taught them like here's what you need to do here's how you start your league they held um they had their first meeting they had tryouts and this was, I think, a year or two before I joined that they had started up in earnest. And the league folded a couple of years back. I think 2016 was their actual date that they that the league folded. And some people went with Prairie Land Punishers. Some people went with the new Peoria team that's more recreational. But Peoria Push Derby Dames is where I started out. So, okay, that's, I guess that was the link that I was missing. Because I was like, wait a minute, but aren't you Windy City? Are they part of Windy City? I was a little confused so uh you learned with this starter league and then when it folded in 2016 you decided to join windy city is that right well it helped that i got fired from my job that i stopped caring about and was always late to and so it gave me a little bit more um impetus to go back home and join windy city it wasn't like oh you know I've outgrown my home league. I loved that league, honestly. It's I, I'm I have a, a loyalty to the places that I feel accepted into, and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way. But I just felt so 
accepted with Peoria. They gave me my first shot. Two years into my announcing career, they said, hey, you know a lot about sports. Do you want to coach? And I can't think of any other organization, sports or otherwise, that would give me that kind of opportunity. And I thank them forever for that. Shout out Lacey Vandegraaff Brook. She was the one who told me that, hey, do you know, you know a lot about sports? Do you want to coach our team? So a couple weeks after that, I came back to Chicago and I had actually signed up to announce at um, Mayday Mayhem in Loveland, Colorado before I lost my job. And I decided to drive out there anyway. And I met Val Capone, who has been with Windy City since the start of everything. And she brought me on a couple of months after that. And then I've been with Windy City since 2015, ever since then. So it was a lot of serendipity involved, considering I was only 160 miles away from home. But it was also, life happened then kind of like gradually push you towards that, would you say? Yeah, I mean, I don't mind getting fired from that job. It's almost, as, as, as flippant as that may sound, especially with the current climate, there's sometimes where you're in, you're somewhere and you just don't need to be there. It's like when you realize that grades don't matter that much in school, having this job did not alter my course of life. So not having this job also didn't alter my course of life. So sense makes sense. And well, first of all, what are the other sports that you were, you know, familiar with? And did you find that it translated towards your derby coaching? Most definitely. I've been a four major sports guy, uh, four major sports person most of my life. But I don't I couldn't tell you exactly why I gravitated towards it, but I've always just found something inherent to me that is draws me to sports so basketball for sure i watched football i loved baseball since i was a little kid like we were uh, we didn't have cable me and my mom it was just me and my mom and she liked sports in as much as i liked sports and she wanted to keep me on the straight and narrow so she encouraged me it's like hey if you want to play sports we'll get you in if you want to listen to sports or if you want to watch sports here's how you do it so we had the antenna Tuesday and Saturday, uh, basketball and baseball came on. Sunday, football came on. And here's how you listen to these on the radio if you want to listen to them. So I listened to the White Sox, Chicago White Sox, the Chicago Bears, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Chicago Bulls, even the Chicago Cubs before I learned that White Sox fans and Cubs fans couldn't get along like that. The thing that translates to me is... I shouldn't say the thing because there's so many different things. When I came in the roller derby, I realized how efficient zone play could be instead of just playing four across and kind of defending straight up and down in a, in a vertical sense. You could divide the track into here's above the pack, here's below the pack, divide the lanes into one, two, and three, and four. A and B, if you want to go like one and two and three and four, and that's two sides, two halves of the track. And this was like 2012. So I, as much as I shouldn't be, I'm always a little, I'm always a little put off when people are like Victorian innovated zone play. And I was like, I was talking about this a year before that, at least it was just in a small league where people really didn't take to it like that. But that's how things have developed throughout the course of human history. People come up with things around the globe at the same time. And it's just whoever gets the credit first. But there's so many things that inform roller derby from other sports that is like running backs in football, the way that they use head and shoulder fakes and basketball in terms of driving to the basket, the same thing, how you, you plant one foot in the ground. Even when you use like a wraparound dribble behind your back, you're moving your top half of your body and your bottom half stays one place. That's so, so useful for jammers to know and learn. 
And then the same thing in football, when you're talking about just driving up the middle, putting your shoulder in the same way that you hit a seam and go through a line. There's so many things I could go over it in so much detail that I know we wouldn't have that much time left. But you know that I love just you bringing this up and, and kind of giving these examples because I see it. I see and I'd never given it thought, but I do see it. And I do. And especially the zone defense and zoning and Derby, it's, it's, I guess it, it, it translates. It really does. I could totally see the, the parallels there, which I hadn't before. So that's really dope. I don't think that Derby folks are known for it. Just bringing that wealth of other sports and helping it, it inform their play, their strategies, you know, just the, their modus operandi, I'd say. Besides like the, the, the more institutional organizational comparisons, because I feel like they're right. definitely bountiful, plentiful, the examples of pro sports versus amateur sports and what have you. But You're right. I mean, it's, it's not. And I think in the way that Derby is accessible for so many people, that they don't have that onus of needing to have some background in some sport that you can just come in, learn from the ground up and play also hurts in a sense that the things that they could be pulling ideas from people kind of shy away from because of, I think that basis where, well, we don't need to learn that sport. So we don't want to learn that sport. There's so much inherent misogyny in these sports or just, um, disrespect in the pe- in these sports and the people who cover them and the way that they're talked about and the fact that our sport, which is so legitimate, is roller derby is so legitimate, so athletic, so important, is not recognized in the same way that people, I think, kind of shy away from the major sports that are out there. And so learning things and picking things up from them is is not really, it doesn't really happen. I think the the people who are outliers in that, like Bonnie Thunders played soccer, Dylan from the Apex is a, is a basketball guy. And there's, you know, people few and far between. You find out that they played sports. I mean, rugby is something that a lot of, I found a lot of derby players have played before they came to roller derby or while they played roller derby. They played rugby at some point. And you can see a lot of that translating in players who have a lot of stamina, a lot of endurance, don't shy away from contact, and still are very agile that same style of play you can see so much in rugby, but it's hard for people to make comparisons and draw analogies when they don't see themselves as being a sports fan. They're a roller derby fan. They're a roller derby head. They're not a sports person. It's more like, you know, and then, you know, as you're bringing up these examples, I think that it also has to do with the origins of each, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, this new, the new roller derby of the aughts was very countercultural, very kind of nostalgia for more like, a, I want to say like more like a punk and rockabilly aesthetic and, yeah. you know, and... And then, but then you do have all of these athletes or these former athletes who, if pushed or if encouraged, could kind of activate those, those, but that parts of their, uh, of their memory, of their muscle memory, if you will. But, you know, I think that it more translate in terms of the, the techniques which they use in their actual gameplay rather than the strategic part, you know, because I'm thinking more like the, the crossover between hockey and and derby that happens a lot or you know or the even the jam skaters and the jam skating and but not necessarily the strategy and the the way that it could be applicable to derby you don't see that as often unfortunately 
Yeah. And, and I know it's tough to bring, carry those things over. You know, I'm not going to say I'm like an expert coach. I feel like I'm a good coach, but I'm not an expert coach who can just bring those strategies across. It's definitely hard. I think it takes like maybe thinking outside of the box. Hopefully maybe this is a time that people can kind of sit back and, and look at tape and look at other sports and look at what, you know, just kind of like do a survey and like see what's out there and kind of come back with like a restart. Like maybe this will be like a, a restart for Derby in a sense. And people can kind of think back to the, the timeline you're at Windy City and What's your Windy City experience been like since you joined in like 2016? Did you say that? Did you say uh, that when you said Like that? the end of, I think it was the, the either the beginning of the spring of 2015 or because it just came up on Facebook. I think it was five years ago that I had my anniversary of announcing this bout with, with Val at the Broadway Armory. So I think that was the May or, or, or June of 2016 or 2015. Happy anniversary. That's I appreciate that. Thank you. Round number. Five years in Derby. That's nothing to sneeze at. I think I got in right after what's locally like the Windy City Exodus. Jackie Daniels uh, had gone down to Texas. A few other people had retired who were uh, really important to the league, to their A-team, Ruth and Asia. A few other people that I, I just wasn't around for. Uh, my, my, my homie Hoosier Mama was no longer on the travel team. And uh, a little bit after that, Chris Rago, I think I think two years after that or, or one year after that, Chris Rago ended up going down to Texas. So Windy, Windy City was in a rebuilding mode. And that's nothing, you know, the funny thing is for when we talk about people who don't or do or don't have a, a pro sports background as a fan or, or, or otherwise, I'm a White Sox fan. We've been rebuilding for years. Uh, I'm a Bulls fan. We've been rebuilding for years. So I'm used to all this. Even my college basketball team, Bradley University, has gone through a, a, a long valley period. So you're speaking to the choir. You know, there's a little team, you might have heard of them called the Knickerbockers. The New York Knicks. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, oh. I, am, I belong to the borough of a, another team called the New York Metropolitans. You might have heard oh, of that. You're a Mets fan too? I'm not. No, no, no. I live in, I live in it, please. Okay. My let's, bad. My let's, bad. My we're bad. going to have to like strike this from the record. Let the record show. I did not say I am a Mets fan. I, okay. I was born and raised in the Bronx and I am a Yankee. Keith fan ah, until I die. However, I share a burrow with the Mets, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. So you understand it. You're not part I, of it. I've seen I've seen a thing or two. I might have read some things in the paper <laughs> about rebuilding. <laughs> oh goodness. Yes. So no, yeah. And I think that if we look at 2015, 2016 is a very pivotal time in terms of rebuilding for Derby. Like that's around the time when Gotham was dethroned. Mm, yeah, and you're right. And it was also maybe I think that was like Susie Hot Rod's last last season with them as a charter team member. So no, that's real. Yeah, I feel like rebuilding is the norm and longevity is the anomaly in Derby, wouldn't you say? I think so. I mean I'm still on the outside looking in for a lot of things because my roller derby experience isn't the same as uh players, even the neophyte players that come into the team. I mean, we can get into a, a, a little bit later, but longevity is so hard, both for individuals and for leagues, because there's no restriction on movement. And that's something that I've always thought about coming in, coming in from that sports background, where 
there's there's a very carefully defined free agency and under contract type thing. And in roller derby, for better and for worse, players are free to move as they choose. So there was when I came in, it was such big news. And even now, it's still such big news when people transfer from leagues because I think then it was seen as somewhat of a betrayal to the league that you were with, or it was just like, oh, how could they go from here to here? Like kind of a la Kevin Durant going from the Thunder to the Warriors. But it was just like, how could you go from this team when you were doing so well and they were on the, on the rise and then go to this team that's already good or something like that? So the transfer market was always has always been such a big deal. And so it's hard for the leagues who are on the up and coming or the up and up. It, was, it had been hard for them to maintain that status, I think, until really recently. And I still don't exactly know the concrete reasons for that. Is, is it, you know, foundational building in a solid training foundation? Is it getting the right mix of players? Is it bringing in a transfer, a, a, a kind of a big time transfer? It could be all those. It could be all those things. It could be a few. But longevity is definitely difficult. I think for teams to stay on top for a long, long, long time. You're seeing it now. Um, Gotham was on the top of the mountain for so long and then rose started coming up denver was up there um Ole back in the day was up there before the rules change and now uh, arch rival has been pushing you know elbowing their way in the conversation victorian one and all these other teams are really knocking on the door and it just kind of depends on a, a mix of those factors and more things that i don't even know about i'm not gonna like i said i'm not gonna say i'm the end all be all source on what makes a roller derby league great there's also longevity in terms of victories, right? But longevity in terms of being able to keep the same, the the team, the same team together, same, keep keep yeah. the the same twenty players in a room and on a track together, what have you? Because I think that Rose is the the example that comes to mind that's been able to do both, um, you know, on both fronts. Since you know, just, I don't want to say since Bonnie and OMG got there because. You know, they I I think they were well on their way before then. But uh, but if you think of those teams, of those the, their lineups, their charter teams, it's been pretty consistent and stable for since for going on like five years now, which is I feel very very exceptional in Derby. You really usually don't see that. Well, I think they've had the they've set the standard on on the junior feeder system really because I mean Roller Girl True. is based on Rose City Rollers. Lauren Much came up through juniors, right? So. I didn't Through. know the leagues who were. There you go. Mm-hmm. If you set that kind of a standard, you're until somebody pushes you out with a better system, with a better track record, you're going to get people who know, like, hey, if I want to play roller derby, or if I want my kids to play roller derby, you know, is this viable for them? Then I'm going to go out to Portland and I'm going to get them on playing roller derby in Rose City. So that Thank really you. helps. So, what team did you coach at, Wendy? I've been coaching the Double Crossers home team since. I think the twenty, the fall twenty sixteen, the we we played a truncated home season because they were still rebuilding the uh, numbers back. They were still getting new people back up, trying to rebuild their numbers, and so we had a, a home team tournament, the Wanda Rumble Cup, instead of the usual Ivy King Cup that we do the the home team season, and then I think that that same summer after home teams ended, I was coaching the C team third coast and I've been coaching third coast all except for last year since I've been with Windy city. 
So it's been kind of figuring things out. We had somebody come back from the other Chicago team, the Chicago Outfit, Rap Scallion, Melissa Rap, who instituted a training program. And just kind of, I always thought of it, for better or for worse, as like a five-year plan a la Mao Zedong, because it was a, really an overall an overhaul of the way that Windy City went about their business, the way that we trained, the way that we practiced, the way that we coached. And it's not like we changed everything and burned it all down and, and started from scratch. There were things that were integrated, but it's different. And it's so to combat what we had experienced with the exodus, the mass exodus, and also to put us on the level of these other teams that we were trying to beat, Arch Rival and Texas and Ann Arbor and Jacksonville and Atlanta, trying to move from that second level up to the first level, what in like the old school baseball terms, like the second division to the first division, the teams that are vying for playoff championship spots every year. Like so, what? Give me an example of the changes instituted. Well, I mean, there's more accountability for off skates training now uh, before it had been somewhat like you need to do this. There are the players on the team. There are the people in the team who, you know, are good at this. Talk to them and they'll get you on a path. And now we're on, hey, here's the off-skates thread. Here's the off-skates accountability sheet. Here's what we need you to do. And we want to know the program that you're on, how it's helping you. Is it strength training? Is it agility training? Is it flexibility training? You can't just go and do yoga five days a week for an hour and say that that's your off-skates. We need you to encompass all of these different things to be a solid top player. And uh, we changed up the tryout structure, both for the league and for travel teams. Uh, instituted pipeline between teams that is fluid every um, every couple of weeks or every couple of months. We've had training arcs going back a few years. So for building up to big tournaments, for big games. And it's and from my perspective, it diff- it's different because the C the C team is not going to be is not going to have the same seasonal opportunities as the A team and the B team. There's no tournaments for us. There's no championships for us. There's no playoffs for us. So our goal is just to win as many games as possible. And I took last year off. So our team went undefeated last year, and I was watching from the sidelines. And that was just really a kind of prototype of what we're trying to institute in terms of the training and the arcs and all that. But I saw what it was doing. There was accountability. There were basically people were being told for the first time, the C team is not a catch-all team where you can just play if you want to play. You're not going to play every game. You're going to have to work your ass off, and you still might not get in heavy rotation in these games. And that's from April all the way to September. So basically it was like everybody who's working to get to the playing in the summertime and the fall was put on notice that we are shooting for to have everybody feeding into this idea of we're going to be a top 10, top 5 team, and everybody throughout the whole system is working towards that. It's like an orchestra. The bass supports the the alto, support the treble. You know what I'm saying? I do. And so, but I want to visualize this. Or I want to have a clearer picture. Could you give us a quick uh, synopsis of Wendy's overall like size and structure, numbers of of travel teams versus home teams, and what have you? I it's hard for me to say how many people we have in the in the league right now. I I will say I don't know that number. I know it's between 120 and probably 180 people overall. But that's also comprising volunteers too. Right. 
And, you know, there's some people who are still in basic training, still working their way up through that who aren't ballot eligible. But we have just about as many people as the teams want can be on a home team. Like it's up to the teams how many people they want to draft when we get to the draft in, in the late fall. Travel teams, I think the cap for the All-Stars is, I want to say 16 or 17. And a few of those are alternates. A few of those are backbenchers who are not going to play a whole lot. And the top eight or nine are going to get the most rotation during games. Uh, second wind is about the same, maybe one less or one more, because some of those second wind players might play at some first A-level games, depending on rostering, depending on availability, depending on how you want to play that game, since ELO is the, the current system for rankings. And for third, third coast, we play we bring a little bit more, 20... We started with 21 or 22 and then went to the next part of the pipeline for uh, cuts for the same reason. First for uh, inertia, if people found that they were on third coast and didn't want to play, if people needed to be pulled up, or if people were unavailable for different bouts. Can I tell you that I, I <laughs> for some reason, I hadn't heard the B and C team names and I love them so much. Second wind uh, and third coast. Yes, yeah. So Chicago, good. you know what it is. Two years ago when we were coaching, shout out uh, Farrell, my uh, co-coach Farrell. We had a kind of non sequitur. There's another name for it. I can't remember, but we were saying third coast and somebody kept hearing third toast. We had, oh yeah, we had um, our, we had a player, Hella Fitzgerald, who was in juniors in Seattle, and she came to University of Chicago for school, and she kept hearing third toast, and that became my, like, rally and cry theme. And one of our players designed shirts that had three pieces of burnt toast on it, so we were <laughs> third toast it. for that summer, and we've been third toast ever since. Yes. And, and then Wendy is a, a founding member of Wolf Today, right? Yep, 2004. I love it. What made you go directly into coaching and announcing? I think that initially people are very attracted to skating and going that route. I skated when I was younger, um, just being black and in Chicago, you roller skate. That was something I did in after school care uh, and summer day camp. We would go up to Rainbow Roller Rink, RIP. Uh, before 4836 North Clark Street, there's the rink on the south side of 87th Street. Basically, if you watch Roll Bounce, that's the culture that I came up in, just not on, the, on a regular basis. But I hadn't skated in a long time, and sports broadcasting was what I was wanted to go into. So I saw this, one, as a career path, but also I loved the sport right off the bat, and I wanted to be involved with it however I could. So broadcasting and announcing made the most sense. Instead of being a, a roller skater, just in in that, I, I like I thought it was really, really, really amazing. But I wanted to be an announcer. I wanted to spread this. I wanted to basically spread the message because I had grown up with that. That was my sports experience. I wasn't a great player in anything that I did. I loved it and I was decent at times, but I wasn't a great player. But I loved the way that the announcers communicated the game. And that was what I wanted to do with roller derby. That's what's up. And I love that you found that for yourself. You knew that about yourself and that, as they say, there's a place for everyone in Derby. So that's really great. What's your experience been like 
coaching and announcing being a black man in derby, a predominantly white sport? In that sense alone, it's par for the course for me because I have always been someone who's has straddled that line that people people understand if you're been told that you speak white or you act white or anything like that. That happened to me from an early age, maybe like eight or nine or ten in grade school. And it's just the way that I've that I've come up. I I liked skateboarding. I liked rock music. My mom made me listen to Country Station because she thought rap was going to make me do things. <laughs> like, like, not in a bad way. She just didn't want me to hear the stuff that you know, she, you know people were rapping about. So I've always kind of had that experience. And I don't know if that was like a nature and nurture thing where I gravitated to roller derby. It was just something that I liked about the sport anyway. But, I mean, it's impossible to not notice that you're one of the only people who looks like you in the sport. And in the same way that I am in line or find common ground with people in the sport who are there already, the you know the main demographic of roller derby, it's also a sport where you just don't have things that you can commiserate with people on. And so the few years that I was announcing um, MRDA bouts was really cool because like, I'm, I'm not going to say that I agree with Mo with Quadzilla for what he did, but it was cool to realize that, Oh, this dude that people are going to clinics with back in the day, this dude is a black man. Like I had no idea. I just assumed because of what I'd seen in roller derby that he wasn't. And then Rolamite that plays in Florida, it was incredible to watch him play. And Dr. Feelgood in Texas, the same, like, it was a real awakening to understand that there were black men in the sport and not just feeling like isolated. So, again, I understand the issues and the problems and the, fa- the, fa- the failings with Quadzilla and with MRDA in general. But damn, it made me feel good to not be the only black dude out there. Yeah, and that fallout must have been something to experience. I saw my man at at the last um, World Cup, and I went up and shook his hand and said, what's up? You know, it's a a thing that we're not just trying to grasp in roller derby. A friend of mine who's not affiliated with the sport at all, my guy Marcel Ayers, is, is all about you have to keep the same energy. So you have to understand where you're stances and for the most part i think we're trying to hold that stance throughout you can't move the goal line for someone or someone else just because you share some ground with them and so because of that when i saw my man he was keeping a low profile but i said hey what's good it's good to see you man and i let him go his way and i went mine but it's not like he's not going to hold that place for me mm-hmm. no yeah that's that's really interesting i I don't think that a lot of people understand the the isolation or the the um the just being in the majority even as a woman identified person you don't quite understand and sometimes that's what makes you take refuge in derby and that's what makes you seek right, derby right. is that it's a space that isn't male dominated that isn't dominated by men but I was very intrigued to know what it's been like for you as a black man, especially in light of the Quadzilla 
issue controversy way back when <laughs> or just in general just finding a community and finding a space where you have you been able to find community and find space for yourself and it, and then again i don't want to also essentialize your experience and say that you only can find community among people of your own race or your own gender because that's that's we're way too complicated as humans right. and that sometimes happens to us as people of color as black people right there was a, a key and peel sketch with malcolm jamal warner it was like black republicans and they all dressed the same and they were all dudes with like double bar glasses and uh like mustaches but their whole catchphrase was we are not a monolith and you know it's funny but it's also true we're not a monolith even as people of color who are involved in roller derby and so my experience is not going to be the same experience as everyone else's but i found some ground that i can communicate with people on even just people just people of color in general there's latin and latinx players that we have who just like small things like tiny things that we might have grown up with like you walk into a party and you're like hey we have players like that who understand what i'm talking about when that comes up and there's players who don't so just having that makes you feel good that somebody understands that shared life experience and there's facebook group that uh you know it's it's weird because i don't want to put it out in the public just in case even though i know people know about it but there's a facebook group of black um, roller derby affiliated people so when there's tournaments we take a photo we make sure we get together that we all and that we get to know each other in some s- small way on the tournament weekend so it's been nice to have that even and on that group it's not always about roller derby but we can also figure things out about people that we, that might not come up just going to practice depending on where you are and it's funny, you know, I'm in Chicago. This is a big city. This is a black city. Like, how is it for people in small towns? Yeah, for sure. Speaking of being in Chicago, I have never been, I don't think. I might, have, I've, I might have done a layover, but that doesn't count. But um, Chicago has, a, from my understanding from people I've spoken to, and I definitely want to remedy that once we have a vaccine for the coronavirus, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm not leaving my block until then. But um, the the word on the street is that Chicago is very segregated in terms of yes. race and neighborhoods, historically yes. so, and up until the present, I'm sure. So how was how has Derby fed into that or broken from the norm from that? sort of social structure we've been trying for years to extend our reach where we market where we draw from and that's been a difficulty that we've been trying to uh to push back on with our diversity and inclusion committee and diversity and inclusion means so many different things whereas 20 or 15 years ago it only meant a few that it's not that that gets lost in the shuffle but that we can't put it on a primary place of importance because we need to reach out to everyone who's having difficulty economically, demographically, in terms of their identity. We want to include those people. But the fact remains that the, in the terms of the way Chicago is laid out in these South Side and West Side neighborhoods, Windy City does not have as much of, of, a, of a reach or visibility as it could or as it should. And so I'm in, uh, if, you, if, you look, if you end up looking these neighborhoods up, like where we really get our, our, the majority of our people who come from is either 
uh, Logan Square, Cranian Village, up any like any neighborhoods up Milwaukee Avenue that goes up northwest from downtown, uh, the North Side, Rogers Park, Lincoln Lincolnish Park, Wrig Wrigleyville by by where the Cubs play, and some of the suburbs just from people who come in from out of town to play and for people who moved out to the suburbs to, um, you know, just in life, but we're not getting a lot of people from like where I grew up South shore. We have a few players who live in Hyde park either because they go to school at university of Chicago or because they moved to Hyde park. And it's one of the few integrated few historically integrated neighborhoods in the whole city. So these neighborhoods that have people who play other sports and draw a pretty wide reach, I think, for other sports, we haven't reached. And I and I want to make sure that I'm not down-talking my league. I love my league. I think it's just known that we haven't done that yet. Gotcha. And thank you for your honesty. Thank you for being candid. So you're sort of like shifting gears. Tell me how this pandemic has treated you. How has this hiatus from Derby, this pandemic pause from roller derby been treating you? What have you been up to? It's it's hard. It's hard on all of us. Our whole household, and I'm lucky to be in, in a place where it's not just me. I'm lucky to be with people who um we we care for each other. But this was a season. This was a, a landmark season for us. This was about to be a watershed. And then man, you get it. Uh, yeah, that shoe <laughs> drops. Yeah. yeah. It's been hard to grasp, I think, at times. Definitely for me. I had been waiting for not necessarily the most optimistic outcome and not a, no, this can't be, can't, you know, this can't happen. And this We're too big for that. But just I didn't know what was going to happen. It's not something that I had been historically prepared for. I just didn't know where it was going to go to. But at the same time, there's so much pressure that I felt externally and internally about coaching and definitely in this new system that I was coming into for the first time that, and I, and, I, and also I want to preface that with, I'm lucky that I'm one of the, the few people who's hasn't had any interruptions with work, but it's taken some of that pressure off where I would be, where we would be coming into, you know, a week where we would be practicing two or three times a week, coming into bouts, doing our reflections figuring out our practice arc, everybody coming in and me having to communicate these things to people. Whereas we talked about, I'm not a, I'm not a skater. I haven't played roller derby ever. And I've always struggled with that in terms of identity of, are these people going to listen to me because I haven't played the sport in any capacity before? And even if it's not the case, it's always just something that I've had to deal with. So that pressure is off. And as much as I miss the sport, it's still been somewhat of a decompression that I don't have to, like, I'm not putting this Acme anvil on my head every week. Like we got to go back to the grindstone. It's, but that's very minimal in terms of what we're missing out on. I think we would all want to be out there playing. I would want to be traveling. I would want to be coaching. I want to see my team and my players develop. And that's what we're really losing out on. That's, I think the big thing I'm losing out on. I want to see, I love to see development. I love to see a player who had the giraffe legs a year ago be slicing and dicing out there a year later. I love mm. it. Did you actually get started after you came back or were you just like looking, ready to go and things were called off? I was, I was ready to come back. I took my year off um, in whatever capacity. I was still announcing, but I wasn't coaching. 
and I was ready to come back to coach. I really was. We were going through and I was, you know, I was encountering the new, the new system, kind of trying to figure out what my place in it, what I needed to do, what my place was in that system, what my place was in the leadership structure. And like you said, the, the shoe dropped. And so now, and so we're still going. We still have a leadership structure. We still have a travel team structure. We were still planning for, we were rolling with the punches as of two weeks ago. And we're still rolling with those same punches. Just they've hit in different places. So we're still like, I'm still coaching. We're still captaining. We still have meetings. We're trying to figure out what our team needs. And I think that's the difficult part. So it's really trying to figure out how we can keep everybody combating despair and then keeping everybody hungry and also keeping them aware of what their identity is in this whole sport. Like they are this person, they are this player within this sport, within this structure. Because I think a lot of that is lost when you're not practicing and you're not playing. When you're not slamming into each other a few times a week, it's hard to remember that. That's a really great segue into memory and a documentary that's been in the zeitgeist about another (laughs) team from Chicago. Dun, dun, dun. Tune in next time for episode 25, Movie Club, The Last Dance featuring Jumping Spider. Peace.